Hello everyone, we are in Psalm 66, 20 verses for the choir director, a song, a psalm. This psalm was written anonymously. It is a psalm of thanksgiving to God. It may have been written to be sung on a festive occasion, but we don't know. Some believe giving thanks for Judah's deliverance from the army of Sennacherib in 701 BC, and we see this in Isaiah 36 to 38. Verses 1 through 4. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works because of the greatness of your name. And the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Selah. The psalmist calls all the earth to join him in joyfully praising the Lord. The Lord has shown his marvelous works to all people. This strength even causes his enemies to give fake obedience, not from the heart, but due to fear of the true God. All the world will one day praise the Lord for his greatness and power. Verses 5-7 through seven. Come and see the works of God, who is awesome in his deeds, towards the Son of Men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There, let us rejoice in him. He rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. The psalmist calls on all to see God's mighty works. He also gives an example which could refer to the crossing of the Red Sea or of the Jordan River or possibly to both, when God was bringing Israel to the promised land. Because of just these acts, people should recognize that he is the true God and worship him forever. He is powerful in that he can rule all the nations. He is eternal in that he will rule forever. He is omniscient and omnipresent, and those are terms meaning all-knowing and everywhere at all times. So he's ever-present and knows all things at all times. And there is nothing the nations can do against God and his power. Verses 8 and 9. Bless our God, O peoples, and sound his praise abroad, who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. All people from all places are called to praise him. He is the one that sustains us and allows us to live. He allows our hearts to beat and our lungs to breathe. Some view this as the biggest miracle of Israel. The miracle is that God has preserved this little nation despite slavery, exile, destruction, genocide, and much more. They still exist as the nation of Israel. This is unheard of for any other nation in the world. Verses 10 through 12. For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. You made men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet, you brought us out into a place of abundance. As metal is purified through fire, the psalmist refers to God's trials on Israel as purifying trials. He placed burdens on Judah and caused others to take them over. They had been captured by traps of the enemy, been trampled on by men and horses, They had gone through fire and water, which describe extreme situations. This was allowed by God as punishment for their sins against him. 
while others were allowed as trials to mature them. Despite all those trials, God got them through and allowed them to enter a place of abundance, the promised land. Verses 13 through 15. I shall come into your house with burnt offerings. I shall pay you with my vows, which my lips uttered and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. I shall offer to you burnt offerings of fat beasts with the smoke of rams. I shall make an offering of bulls with male goats. Selah. The psalmist would go to the temple and give burnt offerings that he promised to God during the time of trial if deliverance came. Since deliverance did come, God had fulfilled his portion, so it was now the psalmist's turn to fulfill his vow. Verses 16 to 20. Come and hear, all who fear God, and I will tell of what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled, my tongue. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his loving kindness from me. The psalmist addresses all who hear, who fear the Lord with his story. He had cried to the Lord with a pure heart. Since he prayed with a clean heart, God heard his prayers and answered them. God was to be praised because of his loyal love and because he hears the prayers of those that are his. Now, why is this important? This is yet another reason why God is worthy to be praised, because many times he delivers us out from trials and hardships. Now, please notice, I said many times, sometimes he allows the hard times to continue for our good and for his glory. We will flesh that out in our suffering sections in counseling and in apologetics or in the doctrine of sin. For now, suffice it to say that God is good and he is faithful in his love to us. Psalm 67, seven verses for the choir director, with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. This is another anonymously written psalm. Some believe it is connected to Psalm 66. The psalmist calls on the people to rejoice in God's righteous judgments. This psalm is sometimes called Israel's missionary psalm. Verses 1 and 2. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. The psalmist asks God to show his face. By showing himself, he is being gracious and blessing his people, probably quoting Numbers 6, 24-25. One of God's greatest blessings is the revelation of himself to us through Jesus and his word, the Bible. The Bible shows us who he is but also what he wants from us as his creations. It shows us his commands for us and his salvations for us. With this revealing of himself, other nations would be able to know who God was as well. This knowledge gives rise to praising him for his great wonders and works. Verses 3 through 7. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. The psalmist calls on all people to praise him. 
the nations could be glad at his revealing, but they could also rejoice in his justice. He would judge all the earth and use his holiness to do so. The psalmist calls on all nations and peoples to praise God for his grace in giving a good harvest. God shows himself to all so that all may fear him and come before him in worship. We should be rejoicing in our God. As his people, we more than anyone can see his blessings in our lives and in our world. When was the last time you praised the Lord for his goodness through song, prayer, or just speech? Psalm 68, 35 verses. For the choir director, a psalm of David, a song. This psalm celebrates God's triumphal ascent on Mount Zion, or Jerusalem. It may also represent David's conquering of Jerusalem, 2 Samuel 5, or moving the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Some critics disregard the title of the psalm and believe it to be some other occasion. Verses 1 through 3. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, and let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish before God. But let the righteous be glad, let them exult before God. Yes, let them rejoice with gladness. The psalmist uh, gives two different reactions when God rises in the earth. The enemy is to be scattered, they run before his presence like smoke from wind or wax from fire. The wicked will run, and in God's time, they will perish from the earth and be judged in the next life. The righteous, on the other hand, can be glad at this sight. They can praise him and be joyful because their king and savior has arrived. Two completely different reactions for one person, but this person is the most important in the universe. The reaction all depends on your relationship with this person. Verses 4 through 6. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song for him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord, and exult before him, a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows, is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. All are called to sing praises to the Lord from all places because of his goodness. We love the way he is described in this psalm. As one reaching down to the outcast, to the reject, he is the father to the orphan and a judge to the widow. These were usually the lowliest and poorest in the community, yet he is there for them. He is a home to the lonely. The lonely are usually looking for a home, a place to belong. God is that place in person. He even leads prisoners to prosperity. Does this remind you of any particular scenario? Perhaps Israel's freedom from Egypt? Verses 7 through 10. O God, when you went forth before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, the earth quaked, the heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself quaked at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You shed abroad a plentiful rain, O God. You confirmed your inheritance when it was parched. Your creatures settled in it. You provided in your goodness for the poor, O God. The psalmist now brings the memory of God going before the people of Israel. He reminds them of God walking and earthquakes occurring because of God's greatness. He caused water to be supplied to the Israelites in the desert. 
God was good in providing for his people and showing his strength before them. Verses 11 through 13. The Lord gives the command. The women who proclaim the good tidings are a great host. Kings of armies flee, they flee, and she who remains at home will divide the spoil. When you lie down among the sheepfolds, you are like the wings of a dove covered with silver and its pinions with glistening gold. When the Almighty scattered the kings there, it was snowing in Zalman. The Lord gave the command, and the kings of the lands fled before Israel. The women rejoiced at the good news and told others. Those that were in the land, Israel, were able to spread the enemy's spoil among themselves. God did all the work, and Israel gained all the benefit. Verse 13 is difficult to understand precisely. Some believe it has to do with Judges 5.16, which reprimands some Israelites for not supporting the conquest of the Promised Land. Some refused to wage war and slept away, so to speak, while others worked for the land. Despite some bad men, God still blessed his people, his dove. Another possible interpretation is that Israel was able to rest, lie down, while God supplied this victory, and the booty dove covered in silver and gold. Yet another explanation states that it is praising those who went to war while others slept. The warriors returned with treasure. Now, all of these interpretations are possible and they don't stray too far from what the verses say. The treasure was likely silver and gold from the enemy, and the snow in Zalman possibly refers to a snowfall on a mountain near Shechem which may have helped in conquering the enemy, Judges 9.48, and buried the deceased. Or it could be a symbol to suggest God's victory was as refreshing as snow. Verses 15 to 18. A mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Why do you look with envy, O mountains with many peaks, at the mountain which God has desired for his abode? Surely the Lord will dwell there forever. The chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them, as at Sinai, in holiness. You have ascended on high, you have led captives, your captives. You have received gifts among men, even among the rebellious also, that the Lord God may dwell there. The psalmist refers to a mountain with many peaks that belongs to Bashan. This mountain of Bashan is figuratively said by the author to be jealous of the mountain where God dwelled in Israel. God had assured Israel that he would dwell there forever. God's army, probably angelic, in Israel was enormous. God dwelt in Jerusalem with holiness, just as he did before on Mount Sinai. There, he reigned over Israel, he conquered his enemies, and he received offerings and gifts from both the good and bad people. The Lord dwelt there with his people. You, in verse 18, is referred to by Paul in Ephesians 4, 8 as Christ. Paul uses this verse to refer to Christ's ascension to heaven as a great conqueror. He took captivity captive. All that held men captive, Satan, sin, and death, were conquered by Jesus. In his ascension, Christ received gifts, and he gave those gifts to his people, those he saved. 18 to 23, 19 to 23. Blessed be the Lord, who daily bears our burden, the God who is our salvation, Selah. God is to us 
a God of deliverances, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. Surely God will shatter the head of his enemies, a hairy crown of him who goes on in his guilty deeds. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea, that your foot may shatter them in blood. The tongue of your dogs may have its portion from your enemies. The psalmist praises the Lord who bears believers' burdens and provides salvation from death. He is the only one who delivers from death. Only he has the power to do so. God's enemies, sinners who continue to rebel, are easily defeated by God. God would bring his people from the lands of Bashan, and Israel conquered them by God's hand in Numbers 21, even from the depths of the sea, or the lowest of times. And he would use Israel to conquer his enemies, leaving the extras for their dogs. God would judge the enemy. Verses 24 to 27. They have seen your procession, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers went on, the musicians went after them, in the midst of the maidens beating tambourines. Bless God in the congregations, even the Lord, you who are of the fountain of Israel. There is Benjamin, the youngest, ruling them, the princes of Judah in their throng, the princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. The procession of the true king was seen by all in Israel as he went into the sanctuary. The singers sang praises, the musicians played loudly. There's a call to praise God who sustained Israel and her people. All of Israel from the south, Benjamin and Judah, to the north, Zebulun and Naphtali, are called to worship. Verses 28 to 31. Your God has commanded your strength. Show yourself strong, O God, who have acted on our behalf. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts in the reeds, the herd of bulls with the calves of the peoples, trampling underfoot the pieces of silver. He has scattered the peoples who delight in war. Envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. The psalmist asks God to show his power once again. Foreign kings pay tribute to God because of his power and his temple. He asks God to rebuke the beasts and their calves. This is probably a symbol for the enemy and their people, perhaps Egypt from verse 31. God quickly deals with the enemy. He scatters those who delight in war, chaos, and murder. Diplomats would come out of Egypt asking for peace, and Ethiopia would soon be humbled. David predicts the day when all nations will be under God's control. Verses 32 to 35. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord, Selah, to him who rides upon the highest heavens, which are from ancient times. Behold, he speaks forth with his voice, a mighty voice. Ascribe strength to God. His majesty is over Israel, and his strength is in the skies. O God, you are awesome from your sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength and power to the people. Blessed be God. All the nations are called to sing to God. He is the only one who rides on the highest heavens, the skies, which were created by his hands in ancient times. God speaks and things happen. There is power in his word. Why is this important? To ascribe is to give honor or praise for a particular quality. The psalmist tells the reader to ascribe strength and majesty to God or to praise him for his strength and for his majesty over Israel. 
He is to be credited with being worthy of our praise. He has all the strength, and from this omnipotence, or all-powerfulness, he gives strength to others, particularly his people. Praise the Lord. Psalm 69, 36 verses, for the choir director according to Sho Shanin, a psalm of David. David pleads with God for deliverance from those who had become his enemies. He looks forward to a time when there would be universal praise and restoration. This psalm is referred to in the New Testament seven times as prophetical of Christ. Some view this psalm solely as David's suffering, while others believe it is solely about the Messiah. I would encourage you to keep both in mind as we study through this psalm. This is an imprecatory psalm. Verses 1 through 4. Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk in deep mire, and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and a flood overflows me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. What I did not steal... I then have to restore. The psalmist calls to God for help. He describes being in a swamp and sinking with no place to gain traction. Water is overcoming him and he is unable to breathe. The image is reflective of his situation. His throat was tired and dry from crying for help. The psalmist and the Messiah had more enemies than hairs on their heads. More people hated them and wanted them dead than they could count. Enemies wanted to destroy them despite the fact that they had done nothing wrong. Yet notice the end of verse 3. They were still depending and waiting on God. Verses 5 through 12. O God, it is you who knows my folly, and my wrongs are not hidden from you. May those who wait for you not be ashamed through me, O Lord God of hosts. May those who seek you not be dishonored through me, O God of Israel. Because for your sake, I have borne borne reproach. Dishonor has covered my face. I have become estranged from my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept in my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate talk about me, and I am the song of drunkards. We know Jesus, the Messiah, was a perfect lamb. In other words, he had no sin. So the psalmist is speaking of his own sin here. The psalmist's sin were known to God. There is an interesting concern here from the psalmist. He did not want to be a discouragement to those that waited on God. It seems that he was concerned with the glory of God to others. He did not want to be a bad testimony. He knew, verse 7, he was suffering for God, for God had received dishonor from everyone, friends and family alike. He also knew he was being persecuted because of his love and zeal for the Lord and for his temple. Let me repeat that he was being persecuted because he loved God and his temple. He was not abandoned because he hurt someone or accused them or lied. He was hated because he was loving correctly. When he was in grief, 
fasting in sackcloth. Sackcloth was a way of mourning in that time. He knew he was the subject of many conversations of the people in the city, from the elders at the gate, even down to the town drunks. Verses 13 through 18. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time. O God, in the greatness of your loving kindness, answer me with your saving truth. Deliver me from the mire, and do not let me sink. May I be delivered from my foes, and from the deep waters. May the flood of water not overflow me, nor the deep swallow me up, nor the pit shut its mouth on me. Answer me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. According to the greatness of your compassion, turn to me, and do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Answer me quickly. Oh, draw near to my soul and redeem it. Ransom me because of my enemies. The psalmist asks the Lord for deliverance from the swamp and from his enemies, appealing to the greatness of your loving kindness or to God's faithful love. He asks that God not allow the metaphorical waters to swallow him up. Instead, he asks for help based on God's goodness, faithfulness, and love. He calls on God for an answer to his petition. The psalmist wants to see God in this hard time. He wants to be in the presence of God, to see his face, especially in this hard time. He asks to be redeemed and ransomed from the enemy. Verses 19 to 21. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. All my adversaries are before you. Reproach has broken my heart and I am so sick. And I looked for sympathy, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. The psalmist knew that God knew everything. Nothing escaped his watchful eyes. God even knew the shame he was facing because of the enemy. In that knowledge... The psalmist found strength. He was broken, but none would comfort or show sympathy. He felt mistreated. He was given gall, this is possibly a poisonous plant, to eat and vinegar to drink. The word food here, barut, seems to emphasize a meal given to a mourner by sympathetic friends. Does vinegar sound familiar? Uh, Jesus was given vinegar to drink. When he was thirsty on the cross. We see this in John 19, 29 to 30. Verses 22 to 28. May their table before them become a snare, and when they are in peace, may it become a trap. May their eyes grow dim so that they cannot see, and make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation on them, and may your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be desolate, may none dwell in their tents, for they have persecuted him whom you yourself have smitten, and they tell of the pain of those whom you have wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity, and may they not come into your righteousness. May they be blotted out of the book of life, and may they not be recorded with the righteous. The psalmist made a petition for judgment on his oppressors. He prayed that their food and peace would be a trap for them. He desired for them to be blind to the danger that surrounded them and constantly afraid of it. He asked for God's wrath on them to the point where their places of living would be desolate. Paul uses verses 22 and 23 to describe the rejection of the Jews who refused to receive their Messiah in Romans 11, 9 and 10. 
The reason for his desire of God's wrath was because he knew they had persecuted ones that God had chosen for persecution, whom God had smitten. What does that mean? The persecution of these people was all in God's plan for the persecuted. At the same time, those that were persecuting had done it out of their own free will. God had not forced the people to persecute the psalmist or the Messiah. It had been their choice to persecute the innocent. The psalmist asks for a punishment. He wanted them to stay as unbelievers. He wanted their names to be blotted out of the book of life, which has a recording of those that are righteous before God. He wanted vengeance for their persecution against him and God's people. Verses 29 to 30. But I am afflicted and in pain. May your salvation, O God, set me securely on high. I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him with thanksgiving. And it will please the Lord better than an ox or a young bull with horns and hoofs. The humble have seen it and are glad. You seek God. Let your heart revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his who are prisoners. Despite this being difficult times, he would praise the Lord with song and thanksgiving. Despite being in pain and being persecuted, he would praise the Lord which he knew the Lord liked better than any sacrifice that could be offered by man. He calls on those that are humble to take heart, because God would lift them up, and they would be glad. Those who seek after God could also rest on the promises of God and allow their hearts to come back to life. He knew the Lord would hear those that needed him. He would not forget or despise those that were persecuted or imprisoned for his honor and glory. Verses 34 to 36. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and possess it. The descendants of his servants will inherit it, and those who, who love his name will dwell in it. The psalmist called on all things to praise God, because he would save Jerusalem and would remain faithful to Judah and Israel. He is faithful to his promises. The Israelites would inherit the land, and those that loved him will dwell there as well. God will keep his covenant promise. We can praise God for this wonderful promise as well. This has not yet come to pass, but in God's time, it will. We have a perfect prophecy fulfillment record from God to prove it. Psalm 70, five verses. For the choir director, Psalm of David, for a memorial. This psalm is a petition for deliverance. Some believe it is connected with specific offerings. It is almost identical with Psalm 40, 13 through 17. Verses 1 through 3. O God, hasten to deliver me. O Lord, hasten to my help. Let those be ashamed and humiliated who seek my life. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. Let those be turned back because of their shame who say, Ha 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 ha. The psalmist called on God to be quick to help. It seems like the psalmist was in need of help and had no time to spare. He asked that God might humiliate those that sought his death and pain. Verses 4 and 5. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in, your, in you. And let those who love your salvation say continually, Let God be magnified. But I am afflicted and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay.
On the other hand, the psalmist asked for blessings on those who sought the Lord. Those that loved Him would be able to rejoice and be glad. When we see the immense greatness of God, we can't help but be joyful, especially when we see that some of that greatness is directed towards us. His love, His grace, His salvation, faithfulness, etc. Despite all these desires to place God on high, the psalmist was in desperate need for help. He knew he could not help himself, so he would wait for deliverance of God. Are you waiting for His deliverance in your life? Do you seek Him? Do you find your satisfaction in knowing Him and His Word? Thank you for joining us. We just finished Psalm 70. Um, We hope you continue listening. If you have any questions about what we've gathered so far or any questions about something else, please visit our website, www.forthethirstysoul.com. There's a Contact Us section there that you can click and submit any questions. We check that regularly. And thank you again for listening to us.